Welcome to Awake to Oneness Radio. I am Caroline Chang, your host. The mission of Awake to Oneness Radio is to inspire the world to awaken to the universal truth of oneness. Science is now teaching us that all life is energy, and that energy is interconnected and interdependent. And in truth, what science is teaching us now is we're all one and all connected. Now, ancient wisdom and spirituality has been teaching the truth of oneness for eons. And science is just now catching up. What this means is what you do to another person, you are literally doing to another aspect of yourself. And when mankind awakens to the universal truth of oneness, there will be peace on earth. Today's show topic is near-death experiences with Nadia McCaffrey. Welcome, Nadia, to Awake to Oneness Radio. Now, thank you, Nadia. Now, Nadia, I discovered Nadia on YouTube. And I've had several guests on the show that have had at least one near-death experience. But amazingly, Nadia has had three near-death experiences, which she's going to share with us. Please, uh, Nadia, please introduce yourself and let our audience, our listeners know who you are and tell us about your journey. With pleasure. My name is Nadia. Oh, Nadia, I can't hear you. All of a sudden, I can't hear you. No, no, something happened to your microphone. I heard oh. something. Okay, that's better. Okay. Now I hear you. Now I hear you. Okay, so I start over? Yes, please. My name is Nadia McCaffrey, and thank you, Caroline, for having me in your show today. Um, yes, I have had tenuous experiences, and it started very early in my life. I was then seven years old when the first one occurred to me. Uh, and I was born in Paris, France. I grew up in the center of France. And for the summertime, I usually uh, was at my grandparents' estate, which was in the countryside and just a gorgeous place. Anyway, I loved the Rhineland. Uh, I loved flowers. And, you know, that was a joy for me to be there with both my grandparents. Anyway, um, that's go back to this time. Yes. Uh, imagine that little girl of seven, curly brown hair. And um, I was an only child up until I turned 11. And uh, so I was kind of abused to be on my own. And uh, I, very early in life, I started to exercise my way of thinking, my um, my inner peace, everything. I discovered science on my own, pretty much. And I was, of course, very curious about a lot of science. But this first near death experience happened there, um, July 7, 1952. And uh, it was a bright summer day, um, gorgeous. Uh, one thing that I was determined to do this day was to pick up a bouquet of flowers for my grandmother. Okay. So I was running down the meadow, and the house was actually standing on a hill. And uh, I was running down this hill, and then on the side, my left, running down, 
was a huge field of wheat. Wheat was actually taller than I was then. Okay. And I wanted to reach uh, some beautiful bite fed uh, sweet pea to make, you know, for my color. So that was my uh, goal. Uh, so I went down and uh, I stopped when I faced the wheat because, you know, it was like a forest. So, uh, but I just kind of put my head down and hung into it. And then I would stop hiding my uh, ocean. I closed my eyes and I looked down and here was the nasp. A what? Say that again? A nasp. A oh. snake. A snake. Okay. A viper. Okay. Okay. I understand that better. Yes. It's a, the, the asp is the snake who basically killed Papa. Uh, and we know up until then that they were in Africa, North Africa, but with cargo, ship, and so on, they were gradually over the centuries uh, taken to Spain and the south of France. Okay. But people know they were there, but they never thought that they would be that far up, because that was the middle. Anyway, oh. the point is that I looked down and I saw this viper um, staring at me, ready to strike. And I know, as a seven-year-old, I look at this shape, the eyes, the everything. I know this was this. I know, to me, this was represented in the end. And uh, I was frozen. I couldn't move. And suddenly, I felt a huge pain on my left ankle. And I stood there, and I just saw the snake uh, waving and just disappearing in the room. The snake bit you and then ran off. Yes. Okay. And I, but it bit me first, of course. Right, of right. It bit you. You felt the pain on your ankle. Yes. It was a horrible thing. Very, very painful. And I started to scream. That's all I could think of doing. My lungs, I mean, really loud as loud as I could. And then gradually, I thought, I can't stay here. You know, my grandmother is kind of far. She won't hear me. So I started to climb back up and to the, the house. She heard me, and then of course she came running down to see. But because I was running, I did this exercise that activated the venom through the heart. I collapsed. Right, because okay, that I, I, yeah, just from a medical standpoint, um, instead of staying still, the 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 poison wouldn't have moved. But you, you're seven years old. Yeah, I understand, of course. We were all not even at seven. I mean, if I got bit today, I mean, I love. Like you said, you love nature. I love nature. I love taking nature. I, but if I saw a snake, I, I just freak out. And the first thing I would do, even if, you know, you know that even as an adult, you know that if you run, the poison is getting, being pumped through your body even quicker. But of course, that's the first thing anybody's going to do is run. Well, yeah, that's what I did. Anyway, she came to me and uh, she looked, and the only thing I could tell her before passing out was, um, and then she got it immediately. She picked me up. She put the gallop on my upper leg, and then she took the bite and tried to press out some of the venom. But I had so much motion, um, physical, physical motion, that it was too late. So she picked me up and just ran to the house, put me down on a chase lounge. And then she ran for my grandfather because it was 1952. People 1952, yes. 
uh, from uh, just that World War II of just then. So um, not everybody had a phone then. And my grandfather uh, didn't even come to see me, just jumped on the back and uh, disappeared to the end of the village to find a, a phone and call the doctor. My mother was working with a doctor, but that was in the closer, uh, about 13 kilometers from the house. Okay. Now, Nadia, it is a little hard to hear you. I'm not sure. I think you're talking loud enough. Just come a little closer to the computer. Okay. Yes. Okay. Like that? That's better. And just talk as loud as you can, but without screaming. I just, I just want the audience to, the listeners to hear, especially when you start describing your near-death experience. It's just, you, you have, you're, you're from France, which is a beautiful country, and you have an accent, so it's oh, yeah. hard to hear. Okay. All right. It's not going to leave me soon. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, going back to the house, uh, she put me, my grandmother put my body down on a chaise lounge and then got busy uh, with my grandfather to do whatever they could to reach my mother and then for the doctor to come. Um, I was passed out, but before passing out, I started to throw up and throw up and throw up. It was just horrible, horrible and painful. And then I went back into, um, I lost consciousness, I just went into a coma. And um, the coma lasted 10 days. Uh, so when I, without knowing then, uh, I ended up in my grandmother's bed, which was on the first floor. And she, everybody was around me. I hear, I heard voices at one time. And I was told later that two of the doctors came, but after 20 minutes, it's too late for a child. Mm -hmm. So they were basically debating if it was still time to give a venom, anti-venom, uh, which, uh, which was discovered by Pasteur, and the, the vaccine has to be given in the abdomen. Okay. So um, they were talking back and forth, and one of them, uh, I was also told details later, said that it didn't matter, they had to try to give it anyway. Okay. So when exactly when, when I agree, but they did the vaccine anyway. They did, uh, they did give you the anti-venom anyway? Yeah. Okay. 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 And uh, um, of course, after my mother came, you know, to do but um, that lasted 10 days, like I said. So you were in a coma for 10 days? Yes. Now, were you, the whole time, were you at your grandmother's house, or did they ever take you to the hospital? Oh, no, that was 1952. Forget the okay. hospital. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, and it's not like you, okay? Again, it's after World War II. Physical war right there, okay? Just so it's different situations. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. When I was in that coma, um, I found myself lifted from my body, just completely above my body, watching down on it. I didn't like it. I was not interested by the body at all. My left leg, which was the one that was tied by the snake, was actually three times its regular size, like a tree trunk. Right. I look at that and I say, what is that? You know, I didn't even organize myself and I was just attracted somewhere else where the light was. It's this enormous, powerful, bright light. 
that I had to go to. And uh, so I just did. And in this, in the, in the middle, in the center of this light, was this beautiful, powerful, you know, she looked at me and we didn't have to talk. She just transmitted a, a long, long message. Um, and she went like this at one time because all I wanted to do when I saw her was to curl and get in her arm and just be there. Like this was the place that every single one of us as Came off. We, this is love. This is peace. This is unity. I only was there once in that particular space. Okay. Uh, she came to me twice. The message was the same, pretty much. But the second time, she extended in a explaining. Because people thought I was going to die. Yes. One did. And gangrene had started where the bite had happened. So either they had to amputate the foot or the second part of my leg. But nobody knows really what could happen if I survived. So one thing that she said to me, she said, you will be fine. But a lot of work to do. I always will be with you. And she said to me, Je suis ta petite maman du ciel. Just do what? Je suis ta petite maman du ciel. Okay. Which means, I am your little mother of the sky. Okay. Okay. And so I was seven. So yes. I suppose, you know. Yes, so that's so beautiful. And so she let you know you would be okay, even though your your leg started, the, the bite area started to get gangrene. And normally with that, they would have to amputate, but you knew she let you know everything was going to be okay. Okay, yes. Yes. And she said, I, uh, you know, you have a lot of work to do yes. in my time. And basically, everything that I will do to serve people, mm. help people. Yes. Okay, I didn't understand much of it at the time. Yes. And nothing that she said was clear. Everything was metaphor. So it took me over 50 years of my life to start understanding some sense of that message. Of mm-hmm. those messages. Yeah. Yes. Including my son who was shot and killed in Iraq. That was part of the message. Mm. Now, now, I have a son in spirit too. So that she gave you at seven years old, um, she gave you the message that you were going to lose a son. Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Amazing. But no matter what, I would have to keep my arm with my work. Mm-hmm. And I did. Wow. Well, I I just want to interject here for a second because, like I said. I, I have a son in spirit, my son uh, transitioned, and I say, there is no such thing as death. So my son transitioned, he was 29 years old, and he transitioned um, four years ago. But I was at peace 
the moment of his transition because I knew he and I had this soul agreement. Um, just from, it's a, it's a long story and I don't want to get into my story, but I knew at the moment of his transition that he and I had a soul agreement and that he wasn't leaving me. He wasn't going anywhere. No, I know. And so that's amazing. And, and I know at seven years old, you didn't understand all these wonderful messages that you were being given, but that's amazing to know that you're going to have a son and your son is going to transition before you um, and know that, you know, before it happens. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Maybe. Yes. And Patrick was um, like me. He, because I come from a, a line of healer, my grandmother, the one that uh, was there for me uh, when I had this snake bite, she uh, was a healer. She, was, she would use her hands, apply her hands to heal them, but also herbs and plants and trees. So she taught me part of that, especially with the plants. Mm -hmm. She never did pass on to me the healing with uh, hands and hands on with me. Um, and I asked her why, one day when I was growing up, I said, why don't you just, you know, explain to me how you do this? I was curious, you know. And she said, no, I won't because you already know. Okay. It'll be time for you to use that you will know. Okay. Okay, so now let's let's get back to that that first near death experience. So you were in a coma for ten days, and a lot of people didn't think you were going to live. No, but no one did. Yeah, you get this amazing messages. Let's let's go back to that. Okay, well, uh, like I said, the messages came, and um, after the ten days, uh, I in my eyes. And I just woke up, basically. And everybody was a little bit bananas, you know, running around and laughing and whatever. I remember that. I said, why are they so excited? Because <laughs> you woke up, yes. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, this whole um, message and vision and presence of this wonderful human being, uh, of light, uh, she had the physical appearance of a human being. She was so much more than that. Mm -hmm. She was us with, with whatever we, we can only dream of how to explain. I never could make 100% sense of this experience. Right. Um, but I feel her, I always felt her very closely. Right. You know, very close to me, um, even now. Mm -hmm. So when she said to me, you know, I always will be here for you, with you. I thought as a child that every time I think of her, she would appear to me. Right. Be back into this space, this, this wonderful energy, light, and love. Uh, well, that's not what she meant. So that kind of concluded my first experience. And then um, I was based in a big part in a Catholic private school. Okay. Thanks. And I was there when I was four, and I got out of there when I was 18. Okay. Um, so I went back to school with the sisters. And I, after my experience, I was horrible. 
nobody could control me. I was becoming ah like another person, you know. And uh, because I know when people told me that this and that and what have you, and they know it wasn't true. I know it wasn't like this, and so I would argue constantly, even with the priest. <laughs> so the nuns and the priests had a oh. hard time with you. Very. Yes. Yes. I understand. Yes. I almost started the fire in the attic one time. Mm -hmm. I was punished. Yes. And then they sent me to wipe up spider webs. And then I thought it was really horrible and boring. And so I light a, a torch, blossoms, and then burning. So uh, burning all the <laughs> spider webs started the fire. Oh my goodness. And I can't hold the fire, okay? I stopped, I wouldn't go down without keeping it like this. But boy, did I get in more trouble. You know. He got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, the mother superior, uh, and that was a couple of years after, she called me into her office and she wanted to hear from me why I was different because I didn't respond it like other children. And so I just trusted her and I just, openly talked to her. Um, I was hesitating to, to, give, to tell her about any other experience because my, my grandmother told me, don't ever talk to anyone about what happened to you. People will think you're crazy and I will bring you nothing but grief. So I wasn't sure if I was going to tell her or not, but she, I didn't, but she understood it. And then she said, oh, this is interesting because something like this happened to me. Wow. And then, of course, I was very excited. So I described my petite maman du ciel, how she was and how she appeared and everything. And we both cried. So she held me for quite a while. And she said, I understand now. Yes. She died shortly after from cancer. Okay. But I think she... She already was into um, another dimension, partly. Okay. And the connection that she had with me was very special. Mm -hmm. Yes. So besides being infernal and horrible, uh, pretty soon I turned to be 17. Yes. She's exactly seven, 10 years later. And by then, um, everything was easy for me. I could studying uh, people, starting to be interested with men, boys, uh, you know, the usual teenage. Right. Uh, Love to draw and paint. Um, I didn't have to study art for things that just came to me. Um, so basically, I, I was bored. Well, the only thing I wanted was to go back with her. Right. I, I did not find her. I did not see her. And this was a, a very bad punishment, very strong punishment for me. So I thought, you know, if I can't, she won't come to me. Well, maybe I can go to her. And I thought, well, let's see. You know, I was in a coma, so I was close to death. If I do something that kills me, do something to bring me back in a space close to where I was, well, maybe I have a chance to see her again. Right. So I, I didn't look any further than that. I 
it did not occur to me that suicide was was what I was talking about. Right. But all I wanted was that you wanted to see her. Her, yes. Right. I understand. So it's not like you were consciously thinking, "I want to kill myself." Oh you no, just, no. I, right, right. You were consciously oh, to travel. Right. You were consciously thinking, "I want to see her again." And when I saw her, I was almost dead. So you yes. know, you wanted to figure out how to see her again. I understand. That's the deduction that I made. Yes. So um, I did that. I waited until nobody was in the house. It was a huge house. Mm -hmm. And um, so there was a kind of a pantry, but this house was almost 400 years old. Okay, So the ceilings are about three times what they are here. Very high ceilings. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had fireplace where you can walk into. Right. So uh, I climb up the ladder, and they were my grandmother, great grandmother, keep putting their uh, apothecary drugs, um, you know, medication, whatever, on, way on top. So to get to access to that, you have to go through a ladder. Okay. And that was for me, so I wouldn't get to it. So, <laughs> so I got a whole bunch of bottles and whatever took everything down and look at it and say, okay, well, I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to take as much as I can swallow so I can't miss you. And I did that. Yeah. I lost consciousness again. And, um, but when I, after I passed out on my bed, because I know what would happen, so I was on my bed, um, one of my friend, school friend, uh, was coming, came to the house and I was returning a book. It's your boyfriend, actually. And uh, I didn't respond, so she came up to my room, and she found me. She, I, I, she called her boyfriend, and both of them dragged me from the bed by my feet and dragged me down the stairs, the first floor, by my feet. By your feet. I was black and blue from my head. Right. From the head. Yes. yes. And up they drive to the hospital in Vichy, which is in Oh, we lost sound this a second again. Come a little closer. I think it's just the way you're moving. Sometimes you cover the mic. Okay, speak now. Let me hear. Okay. Yes. 13 kilometers was the hospital from the house. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, they will me in immediately. Okay, so they were starting to pump my stomach, vital sign, of, you know, the usual things that happen when you get to uh, Right. So uh, that's really didn't interest me. So I left my body just about immediately and saw everybody pumping, messing, you know, with my body, whatever they were doing, oxygen. And uh, I just took off. I was attracted by uh, one part of the ceiling was this, I couldn't see the light, but there was this attraction. So I floated to this and I just didn't hesitate. I just went into it. I was kind of sucking to this um, space, not very nicely. It was pretty rough and, and a little scary, dark, until I was spit out, basically, to the, into the light. Okay. And here I, I was again into the light. In the light, right. Yeah, it, it was a huge, bright, powerful light. As loving, it was the light that I was in before, but different. And there was no of light to welcome me or to talk to me 
but I, I hear this huge voice coming from everywhere saying very strongly. And I feel like to argue with anybody. I, I'm very argumentative about everything and everyone. I don't care who, you know, if I don't agree, I will argue. And I couldn't argue. This was starting to tell me, you have not even begun your work yet. You need to go back. Okay. No choice. No choice on stay. Go back. Boom. No, no argument. I couldn't. Okay. So from there, I had to find my body, which wasn't easy. Okay. I found it. I knew where it was and everything, but you had to get in. Yes. That was a painful process. I finally did it because they didn't want to do it too, probably. And uh, the gurney was then pushing the hallway. I was not in the main room, emergency room anymore. They had pushed the gurney by the door. Okay. Because they thought I was dead. My heart stopped, physically, clinically stopped. Wow. So there was a nurse crying there, and, um, and I opened my eyes. So she looked at me, and she started to scream. Because <laughs> they, they had given up on you? Yeah. And then you open your eyes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I was again. And I was not happy to be there. Uh, you weren't happy being back. No, no, not at all. So uh, after this happened, you know, I very clearly understood that I had to let go things to really are supposed to unfold and not press any point. It doesn't work. And try to go back without being accepted. Right. Well, I guess not. I'm not going to do that again. Right. So whatever I have to be here for, I need to right. patient, accept it, and go through it, or not, but be there and try to do it. And I always thought I call it a mission. My life was a mission. Your life was a mission. My life was from the time I was little. A mission. Now. And after this, I was 17, so after this, I... Um, I got married. Um, I divorced the man, the poor man, six months later. Uh, I, I was still very much a rebel. And right. But I, not of control. But And I, on top of this, I was given some gift. On top, you said, on top of this what? The second near-death experience that I just went through left me with some gift. So called gift. I didn't saw they were gift. I thought they were more curse. But I could look at the person and be able to tell when this person was going to die and how. Mm. Yeah, right. Okay. I told my mother that. Now would you do that? No. You know, I felt so anyway. And I could also see worse people who are going to have a new life coming into theirs. Mm -hmm. so sometimes walking in the sidewalk, I would stop and smile at somebody and say, the baby coming. You know, people didn't know me. I just said, right. Until I realized that I better keep my mouth shut because the information that I was giving people were not valid. She told you uh, what? Say that again? The informations that I was giving people were not asked for. Okay. I understand, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. and I understand that it could really strongly hurt people as well. I mean, if you tell somebody, my mother died a very 
painful death. She died very young, 49, from leukemia. Mm -hmm. And I saw where she was going to go, and I told her. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. no. That's, I would never. That's very, very true. Um, what you're saying is very true for people to understand that when you do have gifts of the spirits and, and you have information, but it is important to know that if that information is not asked, it, it sometimes can be very, um, it, it doesn't get well received. It's a cosmic law. Yes. If you want to know, you need to ask. Yes. If you don't want to know, you don't ask. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yes. 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 So, so um, my life was kind of chaos from Ivy Wilson. And then uh, I met my, my husband um, in Paris. I was in Paris uh, studying. Mm -hmm. for art and uh, deciding which field I was going to go to. I was not that precise and clear about it, but I know it was looking to art. Um, and uh, my, scho my scholarship was provided by my grandparents, mm -hmm. uh, but they require from me that I would work part-time to pay for my studio. Okay. So my logic. So I, it was okay. And where I worked uh, was a small restaurant. I met uh, my husband. Okay. And he was American. Still is. Um, <laughs> he still is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. He was working at the embassy in Paris, okay. but he was not uh, wearing the uniform. Okay. So I, that's where I met him, and um, we. After a few times talking and what have we went out, and after two years, we get married. Okay. I came to Canada. That's why I'm in California. Yes. Um, anyway, we're divorced now, but we love okay. each other. Yeah. No, yeah. so after after my son's death, it was different. It was just yes, different. and and that's very true. What you're saying. Um, I work with an organization called Helping Parents Heal. I don't know if you're familiar with Helping Parents Heal. But that's very true what you say when, when um, a child transitions, uh, yeah. it doesn't matter how old, when a child, how old the child is, if the, if the child's an adult or a child, child, you know, still yeah. a youngster, it doesn't matter the age, but it, it does something to a couple, either, either it can bring a couple closer or it can, or it can tear a couple apart. It really, yes. yes. So I understand. And the, we both were destroyed, basically, um, on a physical path. But um, Bob um, didn't take it the way I did. What I did, I invested my uh, sadness, my grief, my energy, this veteran. Okay. Before this, I, I'm going forward a little too fast. But after my second medicine experience, then I met Bob. In Paris, and then we get married. So, came to the U.S. and after uh, Patrick was born two years later, um, when he was growing up, I stayed home and uh, wanted to be here for him. Mm -hmm. The neighborhood, you know, the old-fashioned neighborhood. We all know each other. We all had children. 
Yes. We would get together of all kinds of events would happen. And the neighbors started to ask me to come and help out with the transition of a loved one. I don't know why, it just started that way. So I know what to do. I just walk into the house and I know exactly what to do, how to be there for them and help the family at the same time. And I started to do this with two people in the street where okay. we live. And then I said, well, Patrick was going to school then. Uh, why don't I do this uh, regularly for nursing home and maybe the VA? Yes. And I, I started to do that. Okay. And then uh, I was a metaphysical student for a long time already. Um, I saw the importance of transitioning. Yes. And worked with a group of people, including uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I met and I worked with her fancy of living right. and dying. Mm -hmm. I really liked it because of the difference had uh, with the traditional way of handling people at the end of life. It was like a new dimension. She was a pioneer in that and I, I still like it a lot. Anyway, I worked with that and I started my own organization that I call Angel Staff. Yes, I saw that, Angel Staff. Yes. yes. So I uh, studied that. I gave lecture um, presentation at uh, different universities, even high schools, uh, on living and dying. The main thing is that I discovered people are afraid by this. This is taboo. We don't talk about this. What I see and realize, not just with me and my experiences, but with people that I work with. Okay. First is what the time where are from this place. We come to this first, we go as a circle, and when it's time to exit that circle, go back home. Yes. The full circle. If you understand what this is about, you're not afraid to live. Exactly. And you can really peacefully and strongly be there for those who need you. Yes. Yes. Very true. I just want to um, reiterate what you just said for our listeners. You're basically saying you, uh, you saw that a lot of people are afraid of death, but if they understand that we come here, and I, I believe personally, we, we come here as a choice. It's, we choose to come here. And that it's just a, 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 like when you, you come here and you transition and you just go back home. So there's nothing to be afraid of. So, and I, like I said, I don't even, I don't even like the word death. I use the word death because people understand better when you use that word. But it, to me, it's a transition. I it, agree. It's a transition. Yes. Yeah. I work with the regular the, the, the people. Uh, and if I say transition, then, you know, so I have to use their words. Yes. You use and, their words so I, they understand. I, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, that's, uh, that's what started. And, you know, it took off very well. I mean, it, I started to meet very well-known people. Um, I started to work with different organi big organizations. And um, when I started to do this, I was so devoted to it that I would take one-on-one -on -one work 
uh, with the volunteer, but mainly what people didn't want to do. Okay. This is where way too hard for one person to come. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm very proud of this. It's, it worked fine. And I have not sat with a person in transition process uh, who was in a tumor. Okay. Everyone that that's just the way it was. I'm not saying anything else because I have some devotee who had a bad time. Mm -hmm. Very, very hard for them. But I, I stepped in and helped. But the thing is, you have two ways. If you prepare the person to be ready for that different space and level, then you elevate your consciousness in such a way that basically you have peace. Yes. And ready to handle just about anything. Yes. Yes. So if you pass this piece, it's contagious, you know, it's like somebody's time to young. I mean, it just pass it on. Mm -hmm. And if people see you strongly behaving in peace, they will feel automatically in the safe place. Yes. Uh, yes, definitely. Yes. Right. The best way to pass on that piece is to demonstrate. To be a living example. Yes, I agree a thousand percent. Yes. Now, I did uh, share, oh, please share with us your, your son, about your son's transition. Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting to that. Okay. Um, I was, okay, uh, the workshop and training for the dying. Mm -hmm. Quite a few interesting experiences happened there, too. I don't know if you want to hear that, but that's one of the training in San Francisco. Okay. We're training in a big church, mm -hmm. Notre Dame de Victoire. So it's French church. Anyway, we had about 70 people training with, the, with us for three days. That started Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. And of course, we had professional attending, you know, like counselor, and because we had people who had grief that came and needed to support and understand. So uh, we have. Okay, anyway, so here we are. So I was sharing the room for the next day with one of the trainer. Okay. Uh, and she never been to San Francisco or didn't know San Francisco. She wanted to see uh, the lights. And so somebody took her for a tour. And I went to bed. Because mm -hmm. it was this that maybe I started here and I would just want to go. And um, so... Everything was dark, and then I turned off the light, and I was asleep, and she walked in the room. And then she backed up against the door and started to scream. I didn't hear her. I did not hear anything. And she looked at me, and above me was this beam of light. Oh. And then, just in here, mid-air, above my body, was this beam of light. And she just sat there. She was afraid at first, and then she tried... Coming closer, she became curious, poked it, talked to it, being with the shapes. She was there, but she couldn't understand. She started to cry and she said, Why aren't you talking to me? Who are you? What do you want? What are you doing on our bed? What are you doing? Right. And it just disappeared. Okay. She didn't go to bed. She just uh, she, she fell asleep crying on the floor next to my bed. Okay. I, I woke up in the morning and I said, what are you doing? Oh, she said, you're not going to believe this. I have to talk to you. I have to talk to you. I said, no, I don't have time. I have to show and we have to go to, to the training. I can't talk now. We'll talk later, okay? 
And that went on pretty much to the whole day. She tried talking to me the whole day. Okay. I didn't have time. People came to me, if I, you know. And I was driving home, and she was on the phone. I didn't answer my phone. And she left a message about half an hour describing what happened to her. And at the end, she said, I'm never going to talk to you again. <laughs> she did, of course, but she was upset that like, she couldn't communicate. Right. And uh, I thought, anyway, you can imagine the emotions she went through. But things like this do happen even now. Okay? Yeah. This is something that I have to learn how to live with. I have learned that. Right. And when something out of the ordinary happens, mm-hmm. um, I don't, it's okay. I, right. I know. Yeah. And Patrick, Patrick is around. Patrick has been to the light and back. And he, this is part of one of the things that he said before dying. He said, Mom, I always will be around you and around all of you. Yes. If you need me. Right. I'll be there. Yes. And yes. Yes. But how we die, um, the day he was shot, he was shot eight times and killed in Iraq. I was in 29th Palm, which is a desert, Mojave Desert, beginning of it, um, near a marine base. Okay. A friend of mine, elderly person, lived there, and I actually helped her move okay. this house in 29th Palm years ago. And she called me saying, uh, Nadia, I'm ready to leave. Uh, before leaving, I want to see you. So I drove eight hours to come and see her. And 11 o'clock, when Patrick, the moment Patrick was shot, mm-hmm. I was climbing a 10-foot fence in the back of the house because somebody gave me the wrong key. I couldn't open the front door. Yes. I knew the back door was open, but uh, to, get, to get in, I had to climb the When I was on top of that fence sitting there, it's the desert, so it's pitch dark. Yes. And the stars are like diamond. You know, it's just yes. Pierced. I see a huge green light, like a funnel a little bit. And it just stood there for a while. And I had this huge pressure on my chest. Pressure where you can't breathe, something that's weight. But you may have, you may know what I'm talking about. Some yes. pressure that doesn't leave you. Yes. It still is here now and then, not as strong, but anyway, I saw it and I knew immediately something had happened. Yes. And green to me saw healing. You know, somebody has green green meant what to you? Healing. Healing. Yes. Okay. So my deduction was somebody has condition healed mm-hmm. but when I had that that strong uh, pressure I know that it was directed to me mm-hmm. so I got off came into the house and uh, the cat was there knew me it was very gentle cat and everything but that day she was impossible okay and wouldn't let me touch her. She was just impossible. So I finally let her in her room and not close the door. I sure she had food and water. And in the morning, opened the door. But she didn't stop the whole night. Okay. So early, I uh, went to the hospital to stay with 
Francoise was my friend, and she knew Patrick. And um, I was there for maybe half an hour, and I was massaging her legs. Her legs were very swelling, and I had some uh, oil, so the, I think it was lavender that would help, you know, her right. through this. And we were talking, and my cell phone rang. So I uh, answered, and I walk out of the door in the hallway. It was my daughter-in-law, and she was hysterical. She was just, I couldn't understand her. I know something had happened, definitely. Right. But I could not feel out what she was saying. Okay. So I just said, sweetie, please give the phone to somebody. I, I can't understand what you're saying. So she did, and... Um, an officer picked up the phone and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry to say, but your son, Patrick Ryan McCaffrey, was shot and killed multiple times, was shot multiple times and killed at 11.45. I don't exactly remember what happened, but I grabbed that phone so tight and then I dropped on the floor and I curled up like a fetus. Yes. And I must have been screaming. Uh, I don't remember that. But it was a hospital, so everybody kind of gathered around me. Nobody touched me, though. Right. For some reason, people just didn't touch me, tried to pick me up or anything, and just let me. And I opened my eyes. And I, said, you know, and I just walked to Francoise, and I say, Francoise, Patrick has been killed. I have to go. Yes. Now, what, she, day, what day was this? What date was this? It was, it was June 22nd, 2004. 2004. June 22nd, 2004. Okay. Yes. And how old was Patrick? Patrick was 34. 34. He was not a military uh, career. Patrick worked in a corporation in Palo Alto. For 13 mm -hmm. years. Okay. And then the 9-11 happened. Yes. And he went bananas. He went crazy. I have to do something. I have to do something. You know, and he enlisted. He enlisted. He enlisted with the guard. Mm -hmm. Why the guard? Because the guard was supposed to be here to help us at home. Right. That was his goal. Right. But then we know the rest. I mean, the guard went going federally to Iraq first. And... Uh, but that's what happened to my son and uh, and I know, I know right but he told me yes and not just that but before the night before he was deployed he we sit together and talked yes and that's where he said mom don't forget, if something happened to me, I always will be around when you need me. Yes. And I will be there as long as you, all of you need me. I know that. Yes. And my daughter-in-law, my uh, granddaughter was two and a half. His daughter. She was two yes. years old, yeah. Mm -hmm. She was, her and her dad were disagreeable, always together. And... Jeanne said that they were sitting on the bed with her dad. And at, at that time, she was into The Lion King. Okay. You know, The Lion King, watching yes, The Lion the King. Movie. Ten yes. times a day. 
<laughs> and that night she grabbed Patrick behind the neck and wouldn't let go. And when you have the passage on the lion king where he's killed, and it's basically it's, uh, he's betrayed by his brother, basically, and it's an ambush. Yes. She grabs so, so strongly on Patrick and says, Daddy, that's you, Daddy, that's you. Mm. And he kind of ran out and came to his mom. And I said, Patrick, remember, she's a baby. Yes, she's two. She doesn't know much, and maybe she knows more than we thought. Yes. But I didn't want to say that. They do. Yes, children know, especially at that age, they know a lot. Yes. And she has the gift. She can yes. heal too. Yes. Anyway, um, you know, uh, and after the day after he was gone, so I sat with Janice out to watch the line. Mm -hmm. And then she grabbed onto me in the same place and said, Come on, come on, my, that's my daddy, that's my daddy. Yes. Yes. And he came uh, after actually the day of the funeral. Okay. He came to her in the backyard. And I saw him too. Oh, wow. But she saw him with the uniform of a, the, the way he left. And she was so excited. She started. <laughs> uh -oh. Something just happened. I don't, sometimes I hear this like scratching noise where your mic is. I don't know where your microphone is, but sometimes there's a scratching noise. So just repeat what you just said. You, you said that um, Patrick came. And you saw him the day of the funeral and your granddaughter also? Yes. Okay. Everybody was at the house ready to go because we had, <coughs> excuse me, the celebration of life first. Mm -hmm. And then we were going to bury him in Oceanside, which is eight hours drive from where we were. So everybody was getting ready to leave. And uh, Janessa was playing in the backyard with uh, Lucky, the dog. We had. Mm -hmm. That was Patrick's dog. And uh, she ran in the house, grabbed me by the sleeve, and come on, come on, come with me, come with me. Daddy's here, daddy's here, daddy's here. Is he going to stay with us now? Is he going to stay? Uh, so I, ran, I came out with her, and I looked. I couldn't see Patrick, but I saw where he was standing. Okay. It was the shape of his silhouette, you know, was very clear. Yes. And you know, uh, New Mexico or Texas, where it's really, really hot in the summer. Yes. The, the heat gets this, looks like a wave, you look, and this is this forming. Yes. Shaping things. Yes. It's still what Patrick was standing was like this. I see. Yeah. Yes. I understand. Yes. Yeah. It didn't, I didn't hear anything, but then it disappeared. And then she sat on the floor, on the ground, and she said, Come on, why are you staying with us? Mm -hmm. And I tried to tell her, and say, sweetie, he's going to be here as many times as you want and any time that you need. Yes. I talked to her. And mm -hmm. she did that. She was okay with that. Yes. And when she saw the coffin, she looked at me and she looked at the coffin and she said, Come on, Daddy's not here, huh? Right. He's not in the coffin. No, no, right. She said, no, sweetie's not. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and uh, she had blocked some of the things, and now she's 17, 
and now she's she, 17. She's oh. 17 and she's remembering now. She needs to have details on it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this is what things are doing. Yes. So going back to uh, the Nyadis experience, um, I worked with the dying, living and dying for 18 years. Mm, okay. Patrick was killed and then I stopped. Uh, I look around and also, I don't know for what reason that is, but his unit coming back and even the soldier that didn't know me started to contact me for help. Okay. So I'm supposed to help, right? So that's what I did. I became an expert on many things, went to DBA, took classes, I'm a PTSD, TBI uh, class. As we started the first conference for TBI, uh, education, you know, after uh, people come back home. Um, why? There is a certain behavior uh, of acceptance, you know, after we release from the war. Right. And I was on the radio and television all the time. With mm -hmm. this. I would travel to Washington, D.C., talk to the minister or the secretary of the VA, uh, generals, General Hellman, General uh, Casey, General Cherry. And that's when they started one of the first uh, group and organization to welcome soldiers who have had PTSD and to recognize PTSD because it wasn't at first. Right. Right. It was very, very difficult. Um, so that became my work. I just launched in that 100%. And I didn't take down the grave. Mm. I did with them because each soldier that I seen men and women, I saw Patrick in them. Right. I still do. And they call me mom. That's how we done it. Even today, I don't pass one Mother's Day alone. They either call me Sunny Flowers or something. They came, they, they came to see the always. What I did then, I opened the house to a young vet who were homeless. So it was a four bedroom house. And I started to have people coming from everywhere. The first one was from Texas. He was thrown out of the VA in Texas, in Dallas. Uh, he, he, was, he had a broken back, he had metal on his leg. He was basically walking with a walker at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, no chance, he was so skinny. And nobody wanted anything to do with, with him. Hmm. So he asked if I, if he could come, and I said, okay, find somebody to drive me and we'll figure it out, okay? Right. I didn't get any benefit then. So the first thing that I did was to hide him to the VA, put him into the system. Um, after this, he needed to be evaluated, to get to receive their benefit. And once they did that, they needed to keep up with PTSD. It doesn't go away. You need to keep it, understand it, keep it under control. Yes. So that's what we work for. He stayed two years with me, and then other came. The second one was a young woman from Pennsylvania, just discharged from Iraq. Uh, she wanted to stay a couple of months with her mom, and her mom said, no, uh, uh, you have PTSD, I don't want anything to do with you. 
So she ended up living in a car. She found my website, called me, and I said, come on, you know, we'll figure it out. Right. And then they keep coming. Uh, uh, over the years between 2006 mm-hmm. and 2012, I had 29 veterans who stayed in the oh. house who now have a life. Mm. Nobody fell back. You see? Uh, the young woman is one of the big success. She had to be high too. Okay. But I, I was with her for evaluation. I was there with the doctors, which she can sometimes explain her behavior, you know, very well. Very good. So she got her benefit. She moved out a year and a half after. Uh, got her own house in Oregon. Now she bought a house in Georgia. Got married two, two years ago. She's a baby. Wow. And we have twins. Amazing. So now, now you're totally doing your mission, your work that yeah. you were told of at seven years old that you had no idea what no. that was going to be at that age. But before, um, I, I know that you've had three near-death yeah. experiences. We didn't get into the third one. Can you say that third near-death experience with us? Right. The third one happened uh, before Patrick died. Okay. Yeah, it was 1999. 99, okay. Yeah, uh, at the time I was walking with him in dying. So I was sitting at the bedside of a lady who herself was in a coma. Uh, we, take, we took shift, like I took uh, 12 hours. The person after me would take eight, and then, you know, we just walk it out this way. And I just got to her, this lady. Um, check her, uh, that recognized. And uh, I sat facing her at the end of the bed with facing her so I could see her, you know, facing in case something happened. And I started to read to her or talk to her, you know, some, something to connect and make her, I know people can hear me, uh, oh, no, I, I did, so. Yeah, and that went on for a while. And then suddenly I felt like I had fever. I felt really, really hot. Okay. And dripping, just, you know, the sweat dripping over my face. My clothes started to get wet. And uh, I took my uh, vital sign. It was way up there. It was really, really high. And uh, I just let it be. I couldn't leave her. Right. So I, I was sitting in a clean armchair facing the city. And I just closed my eyes while she's coming onto the chair. I said, okay, stay here. Don't look to myself. Don't go away. Right. And I felt like I was taking off. And I look around me. And I see one thing that I look at my hair were glowing. The chair was just glowing. Okay. But not the floor, not so just me and the chair. Okay. And I say I understood. I knew immediately. I said, okay, let me go again. Now here we go. What do you want now? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got it. Okay. And I let it go. I let myself go. I just relax. What's the use? I mean, you can't do anything. You just let it go. Oh, and very, very fast. I was taken into another dimension. And I think I passed out because I just don't remember what happened with the body. So I just saw this dimension. It was very, very captivating and very 
intense, very, very intense. Uh, and you heard of life review. People would have life life review. Say that life review. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes I have. This yeah. this was a life review, but review. not my life review. Hmm. It was a life review of the Earth. Oh wow! Amazing. Yeah, it was a little bit of the past, the present, and the future. But we had two futures. One, two futures. Two futures, yes. At the time, we had a choice. 99. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We took the wrong turn. Yes. But that was our willpower, our decision. Consciousness needed to be elevated to a point where it wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. So we found ourselves into what we were. And in this flash of pictures, uh, it's like a film, but very fast film, but it's, you are in it, you're part of it. You are very much, not just in it as acting, you are part of it. Yes. The energy, your energy is in it. So you just can't, you know, you have to, Escape, and I was watching one of those. I was part of it, definitely. And why was I there? And uh, there was some pictures that were shown that I found afterward, like a sky red, like I'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, when you have a beautiful sunset, you have these magnificent colors. Yes, it was a red that I haven't seen. Wow. And everything around this red sun was a gray. Everything. Mm. Plants were gray, people were gray, uh, desert, uh, skeleton of trees, uh, destruction, basically, sadness, lots of sadness and anger. Um, but that was part of it. Mm. So, what was that all about? I found out. But when I after Patrick was killed, I decided to travel to Iraq. I wanted to see where I died. Yes. Uh, I wanted to raise the same hair. I wanted to be there. And I wanted to meet some Iraqi mothers that had gone through the same thing that I had lost either a son or a family member or sometimes the whole family. I just wanted to able to share our pain, but also to try to make sense yes. out of it. Yes. That was my purpose. Yes. So I did. We couldn't go directly to Iraq because border is different. Over there you have a double border. Mm -hmm. Between the two borders you have a void. And it's very dangerous to go to that void. People get stuck there and can't come out. It's, it's a different place. Right. But um, people heard that, and I, my face was in the newspaper, so people started to be curious about it. Mm -hmm. so some of the people who could travel, so some doctors, some professional people, came from Iraq and meet us in a month. Right. So we ended up having a large group of people that could share their experience. 
and this was fake, right? You need a cookies in the oven. But I know what to expect. I know I would be the bad guy. I know that everything was going to be blame on me. I was ready for that. Right. So yes. I went through it. But the result of it is amazing. Yes. Because the people that I have met, a couple of doctors, lady doctors, um, were so strongly against me. And at the end, wouldn't even talk to me directly. I had to have a translator. She could speak English, but she wouldn't talk to me. Mm. Uh, and at the end, after we exchanged, that lasted a few days. Right. We exchanged, we saw films, uh, talk about children, uh, family, with girls. Yes. We understood each other on a soul level. Yes. And the, the energy was completely different. Yes. Well, Nadia, I, I want you to share, because I'm sorry, I, I, the only reason I say we're running short of time because I, I teach piano lesson and I have, a oh, student, yes. I have a student coming in a few minutes. But I'm sorry. You, no, 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 no. Don't, please, don't be sorry. You're, you, you, you're, you're just so, it's, you have so much to share with us. I mean, you have your near-death experiences. You have a son that's in spirit. One of the things I like, if you've never heard of the organization, Helping Parents Heal, because I know that, like you said, you want to help parents and, and anyone that has a loved one on the other side. An yes. organization that I'm involved with is called Helping Parents Heal. I'll send you the link to them if you've never heard of them. Yeah, They're an amazing organization to be a member of. But I want you to share how our listeners can, con can follow you and contact you. How can our listeners you. I have multiple websites. I am on Facebook, of course, Nadia McCaffrey, uh, just Nadia McCaffrey. I have 10 pages on Facebook. Okay. So if you go with McCaffrey, you find me there. My son too. Um, I have uh, Patrick McCaffrey Foundation, one word, oh. dot org. Okay. Yes. This is, this is the work of the soldiers. Okay. And um, I have, I'm part of Alliance, okay. International Association for Media Studies. Yes. I have also a couple of pages, uh, NorthCaliforniaIons.org. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, Mike, if you put my name, multiple things will come up. Right. If they Google your name. Yes, you have done so much. You have so many, and you have the angel staff. There's so much, and because that's how I found all your information. And I will, what I always do is put those links under the interview. So everyone will be able to find you. But thank you. So this has been such an amazing conversation. You have so much to share. I could probably do two or three shows <laughs> with you just alone. So we will keep in touch, okay? Okay. Well, okay. Where, where did you go? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, You're back. Oh. I wrote a series of articles. With okay. The, the guidepost. Okay. Show, show that. Yes. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's out now, it is out now. And I just had another one with them, where the nearest experience are. Hold it, hold it up so people, I can't see it. Yes, okay, yes, okay. All right, mm-hmm. Yes. And I am in multiple books, too. Uh, research book and children nearest experience books. Yes. Uh, you know, multiple, so. Yes. Well, the next time I talk to you, I'll talk to you about a dream. 
that came to me and I found the dance numbers. Oh, definitely. Well, we're definitely, we're going to schedule another show together because you just, you're a wealth of information and inspiration. So we are definitely going to schedule another show together. Okay. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate you being my guest and this has been amazing. So I will definitely keep in touch with you and we're going to do some more together. Thank okay. You. Thank, thank you so very much. Okay. You too. Thank you. God bless. Namaste. Namaste.